From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Dr. Rodrigo Cunha joins us to talk about the relationship between stress, caffeine, and emotions. So stay tuned for all this here on the Grok Science Show. Welcome back to the program. Joining us today is Professor Rodrigo Cunha from the University of Combre in Portugal, uh, one of the oldest universities in the world. Dr. Cunha is a principal investigator at the Center of Neurosciences and a professor of neuropharmacology. Professor Cunha, thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure. It looks like you're doing really exciting work uh, and you're at the forefront of neurosciences in Europe. And recently you've published a very interesting paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences about the relationship between stress, uh, caffeine, and uh, mood disorders. So uh, congratulations on this paper. And uh, could you give us a little bit of background behind it? Okay, so uh, right now in the Western world, problems uh, related with mood disorders, they rank currently number three in terms of the number of incidences. And uh, although I don't have the data in the United States, uh, in Europe, uh, the greatest burden of um, uh, medication uh, is precisely uh, directed at problems of uh, mood. In spite of this huge economical burden, uh, and uh, uh, there is inefficiency of uh, uh, antidepressants in general. So today we urgently need uh, novel uh, ways if they are some uh, pharmaceuticals so good, uh, others are also welcome ways to intervene uh, with mood disorder. Now, one thing which catched my attention was the fact that epidemiological studies, they indicated that uh, uh, people who drank um, more uh, coffee and ingested more caffeine, they tended to have a lower incidence of depression. Epidemiological studies are obviously essential uh, to uh, begin tackling a problem, but there are several limitations. Uh, for instance, it could be that the persons who drank more coffee, they had less depression because they tended to go to the coffee shop, talk with other people, and it was the social interaction rather than the intake of coffee that would uh, provide a benefit. So the only way to really define this relation is to do controlled studies, and uh, animal studies are often used uh, because it's uh, considerably more easy to uh, isolate variables. So what we did was actually to try and uh, probe if caffeine itself, 
in a controlled way could be causally related with the benefit in terms of uh, uh, mood dysfunction. So we did a lot of nasty things to uh, mice, uh, obviously everything was supervised by ethical committees, but it was a series of nasty things for a period of three weeks. And the mice began developing uh, behavioral modifications that have a parallel with uh, what one sees in uh, uh, humans with uh, uh, mood disorders, namely with depression. And uh, uh, then this enabled us to compare uh, mice which drank uh, caffeine with animals that did not uh, drink caffeine. And uh, our conclusion was that indeed the mice that drank caffeine, they coped much better with the series of stressful events they were uh, challenged with. The next step was to identify the target which was operated by caffeine to afford this benefit. And uh, we identified the receptor, which is called the adenosine eight-way receptor. Mm -hmm. So basically it's a sensor in the membrane. It senses a danger signal, which is adenosine. And when uh, you consume chronically, not acutely, chronically caffeine, then you begin uh, dampening uh, this uh, uh, signalization of uh, uh, danger, which uh, normalizes the flow of information and therefore allows uh, diminishing uh, the modification of emotional processing, which is present after stress. So briefly, that's basically what uh, the, this contribution is about. And what is your definition of stress and uh, depression in terms of a physiological biochemical uh, basis? So that there, there's a, a series of uh, modification that ought to be present. So on one hand, uh, from the behavioral point of view, so when you depress, uh, for instance, you tend to give up faster um, um, in, in situations where you have a challenge, you just avoid the challenge, you give away. And uh, this is exactly what, what, the, what the animals also do. You tend to be more anxious, you're more afraid of uh, uh, stimuli in your environment. That's also a behavior displayed by the animal subjected to chronic stress. You have less pleasure, uh, you experience less pleasure, this is called anhedonia. You can measure that in animals, for instance, you provide them with uh, sweet uh, water and they tend not to show so much interest in uh, choosing uh, this, this otherwise pleasurable um, uh, experience. Uh, they have less social interaction as depressed people have, they tend to isolate themselves more and uh, a very important feature which afflicted and uh, depressed individuals is uh, a decrease uh, of memory performance, which the animals also display. And you have biochemical changes, that is uh, what people call stress hormones, although this is very uh, disputable. Uh, for instance, cortisol in humans, corticosterone in, in animals. Normally the fluctuation that you have over the day is dampened in those animals. And uh, then from the structural point of view, when you look at the brain, uh, there's a shrinkage of uh, uh, diabolization that allows uh, contact between neurons to be established. So the wiring of neurons, it's not the death of neurons, but the wiring of the neurons is less exuberant. Um, so those are modifications that you can measure in the animal and that have a parallel 
uh, would depressed individuals or individuals uh, subjected to a repeated series of events. And so stimulants like, say, caffeine, would you argue, are able to re uh, reduce or reverse some of these stress effects? Okay, so there's actually two questions embedded uh, in uh, uh, your, your, your what seems to be a single question that you asked. So first of all, caffeine has a dual effect. So on one hand, it is certainly a stimulant when you consume it acutely. But the interesting thing is that when you consume caffeine regularly, you tend to somehow smoothen those uh, stimulant effects, and then caffeine becomes a normalizer. So there's no magic in that. Uh, several uh, people have sort of have contributed to sort out uh, mechanisms by which caffeine has this dual effect. So an, an acute shot of caffeine will mainly block one particular type of receptors, which are inhibitory receptors, and then Hence, because they block an inhibition, you have uh, a stimulant effect. But this effect somehow dampens over time. And uh, the chronic presence uh, of caffeine allows the system to readapt. And then it's an effect of another receptor, which is now an excitatory receptor that predominates with uh, the chronic consumption of caffeine. So what caffeine actually does, when consumed chronically, is to normalize the flow of information in brain circuits. So it impedes excessive functioning or uh, too less uh, functioning in the circuit. So it sort of narrows the window where uh, information flow uh, tends to occur. And uh, uh, therefore, what people tend to call a psychostimulant is actually a normalizer of uh, uh, flow of information in the brain. Um, uh, circuits. So this is trying to clarify the first part of your question. Now, when you asked if once you have mood disorders, beginning to drink caffeine will help you, this is something that although it is not reported in this paper that we now publish, some initial work that we've already carried out tend to suggest that this might not be the case. However, if you use analogs of caffeine that selectively target this receptor where caffeine acts to normalize brain function. If you use uh, such type of drugs, then you can actually revert uh, mood dysfunction and bring back uh, mood uh, to uh, patterns similar to those of control uh, animals. This paving the way to precisely uh, uh, achieve what you suggested, that is, to have a therapeutic benefit. Uh, in other words, hoping to one day being able to formulate this in terms of a, a, a druggable uh, form for, for depressed individuals, although clinical trials will have to be carried out. Uh, so in terms of, say, acute or chronic caffeine consumption, what would you say is the frequency that you would define as chronic caffeine consumption versus uh, acute consumption? This has very much to do with the, uh, the elimination uh, of caffeine over time from your body. So as you drink caffeine, caffeine begins being absorbed, then it's present for a while uh, in, in your body, and then over time it is eliminated. And this process is uh, variable. Uh, in humans. That is, there are people who are fast metabolizers and others who are uh, slower uh, metabolizers of caffeine. 
And therefore, in some people, uh, if they are slow metabolizers, they will need something like two, a maximum of three cups of coffee uh, a day in order to maintain levels of caffeine in their body sufficient to afford this uh, uh, regular effect. If uh, somebody like myself, for instance, I've genotyped myself already, uh, is a fast metabolizer, they will need something like five to six cups of coffee a day. I normally drink a little bit more, uh, about seven uh, cups of coffee a day, in order to have those uh, sustained, milled, elevated uh, levels of caffeine mm -hmm. that we believe afford this beneficial effect over time. In terms of your, your sample for your study, are these mostly people living in urban areas, people who have modern lifestyles, or does it include everyone from people living in cities versus those that also live in a, say, less stressful environment? I, I should point out that the study which was reported uh, in the Proceedings of National Academy of Science, it's solely uh, done in animal models. I, I can tell you about... Uh, the studies that actually drove this particular study, which were done in uh, populations, and uh, they actually chose two very particular populations. So one of them were nurses, and the study was carried out in Hawaii, and the advantage is that you have a rather homogeneous population. So the lifestyle is very similar in the island, uh, food intake is quite similar, Exposure to weather is also quite similar, and it is recognized also, I don't know if you have been lucky enough to spend holidays in our wife, let's put it this way, uh -huh. and uh, therefore the incidence of depression was slightly lower than you found elsewhere, in other cohorts of individuals that you study, and this allows to reveal, in a probably more uh, evident uh, manner, the impact of caffeine on the incidence of depression. The second one was done in the UK, in the United Kingdom, and uh, it selected a very particular population again, uh, which is individuals that underwent retirement. So, so that's a period in your life where all of a sudden your life changes dramatically uh, from the social point of view and uh, uh, also from the motiva motivational point of view. There's a pick of... Uh, depression, incidence of depression at this particular uh, situation in, in people's lives. And the authors studied uh, if uh, the intake of caffeine would uh, somehow decrease the incidence of such depression. So, so again, in a particular population where it would be easy to see um, this, this association, which was very evident, I must tell you, one of the uh, strongest associations that I've seen in epidemiological studies. For those who know uh, how to quantify that, uh, it's an odds ratio of uh, 0.18, which is reported. Now, the other question that you ask is also interesting, because I believe, although this was not tested uh, yet, that you will have a benefit not only by drinking coffee, but eventually also by drinking tea because you also have substances which are alike to caffeine in tea. So it is my belief that uh, different type of beverages, provided that they have this class of compounds, will uh, hopefully uh, afford a benefit in terms of mood. How about uh, chocolate? Well, chocolate uh, also has uh, one such 
analog of caffeine. It's called theobromine, but uh, it also has a lot uh, of other compounds that uh, may also interfere with mood. So it's really a matter of testing. <laughs> I see what what the effect might be. Uh, I wouldn't be so at ease to uh, make a guess. And with, with the human studies, have you looked at as, for example, say a placebo effect? The way you try to disentangle a possible placebo effect is to make a design whereby uh, one of the groups actually drinks coffee with caffeine, a second group will drink a decaf, and the third group will drink a decaf to which you artificially added caffeine. And therefore, by having such a design, you can really uh, pinpoint uh, if it is caffeine or other compounds in the coffee mixture uh, which are affording the benefit. And the conclusion has been that it seems to be uh, caffeine in particular that affords uh, the most evident benefit in terms of mood and memory. And how about the converse? For example, if you if you're looking at alcohol as your as your agent, would you see the opposite effect occurring? This is something that has been reported by uh, different groups that is that the consumption of um, uh, ethanol um, or, or alcohol, to make it easier, uh, at the beginning sort of disinhibits the individual and then uh, with uh, increased accumulated consumption or increased amounts consumed, it tends to cause a depressive light effect. Uh, I think that w one aspect that begins to to, to emerge as socially very relevant, in which we haven't yet studied in detail, but we are very much focused in terms of attention nowadays, uh, is to look at the simultaneous consumption of caffeine and um, um, alcohol. And you may say, this is probably not occurring in my life so commonly. The fact is when you have those, what do you call them uh, in, in, in America, those uh, energetic drinks? Energy drinks. So, a Red Bull, drinks. yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about brands because <laughs> I have problems because of mentioning brands. But anyway, those energy uh, uh, drinks, they ha simultaneously have caffeine and alcohol and they also have something else that people begin paying attention, which is called taurine. Something also very interesting in terms of affecting the brain. And the fact is that the association of caffeine with ethanol is actually quite detrimental because what caffeine does is to decrease one's perception of ethanol intoxication. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you just drink, at a certain time point, you will feel that you are having too much. Mm -hmm. So what caffeine will do is that it will push this point of recognition so far down the way that you are actually completely drunk when you realize that you're drunk. And I have the fear, but this remains to be tested, that what caffeine will do in the energy drinks is actually to promote uh, excessive uh, intake of, uh, of ethanol. And therefore, this is one, let's say ever situation where caffeine eventually may, may not be beneficial in terms of mood over a long time. But this remains to be tested. I'm just curious, what, what was your 
Did you have any surprises from the results you've seen? Well, um, I, I must tell you that probably the greatest surprise that I had was uh, uh, the ability of those analogs of caffeine that really target selectively the receptor where caffeine is mostly acting mm-hmm. to so efficiently revert uh, mood. That was a surprise to me. I was expecting a slight recovery, but not something as evident as, as we measured in the animals. As just an animal, so that there would be no bias. But it was a little bit senseless to do so, because everybody could see that there was such a difference in behavior that there was no possible confusion between the animals. So it was a very striking effect. Uh, if this is to be reproduced in humans, I am uh, really enthusiastic about uh, this prospect and hopeful that uh, we may indeed have a novel uh, drug uh, strategy to try and control or manage uh, mood disorders. So, so that's probably the most surprising observation. I'm just curious, could you briefly discuss some of your other work, for example, uh, in Alzheimer's or Parkinson's? I'll make a very brief parallel. So what you have in uh, Alzheimer's disease is, again, a dysfunction, an aberrant functioning of particular brain circuits, uh, which are related to the encoding of uh, contextual information or reference information, I want to call it. Okay. If you now look at motor problems, that is Parkinson's disease, this is, again, uh, a lack of uh, proper information flow in a particular uh, brain area, which is the dorsal uh, uh, basal ganglia. Now, this is very similar uh, from uh, the conceptual point of view when you talk about information flow to what happens in uh, depression, where you have aberrant flows of information in the ventral basal ganglia. So as I told you, what the chronic intake of caffeine does is to normalize this flow of information. And this is exactly what we concluded was happening in the case of Alzheimer's disease and in the case of Parkinson's disease. So thanks to this ability of caffeine to normalize flow of information, it seems like the same strategy confers a parallel benefit for several neurodegenerative and neuropsychiatric um, uh, disorders. So. It's uh, a similar mode of action and a similar benefit that um, w- one one can afford. Fascinating. I guess we are uh, out of time here. Uh, Professor Hunga, are there any last words you'd like to add about uh, your work or your research interests? Since I'm talking with a U.S.-based uh, uh, radio, I think it is good to know that all this was made possible essentially thanks to the support of... Uh, the U.S. government through the Department of Defense and the private foundation, which is the Brain Research Foundation. So, uh, in other words, although the work was mostly carried out in Europe, it was thanks to U.S. funds that it was possible at all uh, to carry it out. And I just wanted to leave this public thanks to those two entities. It's been a really fascinating story. Uh, Professor Cunha, thank you so much again for joining us here today. That's my pleasure. And we were just talking to Professor Rodrigo Cunha from the University of Coimbra in Portugal. We were discussing this paper on the relationship between caffeine, stress, and mood. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.groks.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. Thank you.